Hello everybody, this is our third sermon looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And today we are in Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 to 26. And this sermon is entitled Reconciliation. Violence escalates. A false claim is made on social media. Within moments it has gone viral and been read thousands of times. The next day a rally is called and busloads of angry people start heading for the city. The rally begins with a speech packed full of divisive and inflammatory rhetoric. Soon the crowds are on the march, emotions being whipped up further with every step they take. Flags are flown, placards are waved, megaphones blare. Eventually they arrive at the location of the supposed perpetrators. No barrier or security guard will stand in their way now. Fences are pulled down, windows are smashed, battering rams are in operation. A few moments later, five people are dead. Many more are injured and a whole nation is in disarray. Is this really what humanity should be like? Yet sadly, the scenes we saw at the Capitol are nothing new. Violence escalated in Jesus' day as well. When the Romans insulted or the Samaritans attacked, the Jews were enraged. In the political order, Sadducee and Pharisee battled one another on how they should respond. Fissures developed within Judaism itself. Consequently, villages and families and even households were divided. In a land that was under military occupation, everyone was jumpy. The Roman occupiers always on the lookout for revolt. The occupied peasants always on the lookout for oppression. Anything that even looked like aggression caused a reaction. If a person sneezed, a Roman soldier would jump to attention. In Jesus' day, everyone was on tenterhooks. The only thing that was stopping all-out war was the poverty and exhaustion of Israel's people. They had nothing to fight with. Is this really what humanity should be like? But let's go further, bring it closer to home. Violence escalates in our daily lives as well. The businesswoman is shouted at by her boss. So she returns and takes out on her secretary, giving him a miserable day. The secretary goes home and shouts at the wife. The wife gets frustrated with the children and sends them to bed. The children, feeling unfairly treated, kick the dog. Let us face facts. Violence and anger always build. Part of growing up is learning to deal with strong emotion before it gets out of control. And suddenly we realise that most of us are not as mature as we should be. We all act like this at times. Is this really what humanity should be like? We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for three weeks now, and last week we saw what this whole sermon was for. We saw how Jesus was calling Israel to go back to their true vocation. They were to be the light of the world. A light that was distinctively different to darkness. A light that lit up the way to God and drew people in like a moth to a flame. Well, Jesus is clear. If Israel were going to be that light, if they were going to stand out from the surrounding nations, one of the very first issues that they had to deal with 
was their anger. If they did not deal with this, they would be as dark and unattractive as Rome itself. Therefore, questions had to be faced. How could their anger be diffused? How could they be prevented from boiling over into violence on such a regular basis? And let's not kid ourselves. As we here on Isla are called to be a light to our community, this is one of the uppermost issues we need to learn to deal with too. We all get angry at times, at work, at home, on the roads, and often there's a real legitimacy to what we feel. But we must learn to deal with the emotion better, to turn it into positive responses if we want to be attractive to our colleagues and our family and draw people to God. But the last two weeks have also begun to show us how this is to be done. In the Beatitudes, Jesus announced he was bringing a new kingdom to bear, a new way to live. Last week, in verses 13 to 20 of chapter 5, he declared that this new kingdom would pioneer and make possible a new pattern of behaviour. A behaviour enabled by the Holy Spirit that would finally fulfil God's law. Jesus announced that he had come to raise the people to a new standard, to raise the bar. So much so he declared that all his followers needed to have a righteousness about their actions that surpassed even the nitpicking lawyers of the time. So in this sermon, Jesus is about to show Israel how they were to deal with their anger by taking them back to the Old Testament law. He is about to show them its implications were far wider reaching than the Pharisees were teaching. If Israel were really going to shine their light once more, they had to go back to truly fulfilling what was written centuries before in the Ten Commandments. The sixth commandment given to Israel was this, do not murder. It seems quite simple. All humankind are made in God's image. You kill a human, you assault God. Simple. Don't do it. But the fastidious Pharisees celebrated the fact that they had not murdered someone without at all looking at what this law really meant. Just not killing someone is not enough to stop anger and violence spreading. In that opening example, the boss did not kill her employer, But that did not stop the cycle that resulted in the dog getting kicked. Just not murdering someone is not enough. It might be following the letter of the command, but it's completely ignoring its spirit. The Pharisees might have been keeping the law, but they certainly were not fulfilling it. So here in this passage, Jesus raises the bar and takes people back to the original intention of the law. It's not that you should stop just short of killing someone, but that you should never even get near to the thought of wanting someone dead. In verse 22, Jesus does this by giving three examples. Three examples of how you can damage someone, how you can take life away without committing murder. And the first is by getting angry. Jesus says, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. To Jesus, showing anger alone is a a violation of the law and the original intention of the murder command. 
You see, when we get angry with someone and allow that to take over, we begin to act as though in some way they are less worthy than us. As if their identity, their value as God's creation is somehow lower than ours. Uncontrolled anger puts us in a place where we think we are above others. And that is a stepping stone to murder. So God expects us not only to avoid murder, but to avoid anger getting to this point as well. The second example Jesus gives is name calling. He says, again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Rakar, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Now, Rakar in Aramaic meant empty head. It was a term of utter contempt. And in Jewish culture, name calling was highly insulting because most people were given a name for a very specific reason. Either it was a family name or a name that told a story. So to the Jews, by denying someone their name, by calling them another, was to remove their identity, their personhood. God expects us, therefore, not just to avoid murder, but to avoid name calling as well, as they lead to the same thing, a denying of life. The third example is similar. Jesus says, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. You fool is another highly insulting comment. To be a fool in Jewish culture implied immorality, loose morals. A fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, Proverbs 10.23 says. Again, it is showing someone contempt. It is stripping away their God-given identity. God expects us not to just avoid murder, but to avoid insults and defamation of character as well. They both do damage to someone who is in the image of God. So you can see by these three examples, anger, name calling and insults, Jesus is raising the bar. The Pharisees thought they could do all of these things as long as they did not murder, that they would then still be keeping the law. But Jesus is saying nothing could be further from the truth. It's from small starting points such as these that violence escalates. And just notice how serious Jesus is about this. For each of these angry ways, Jesus declares that there will be a judgment from God. And a lot of that judgment boils down to wisdom. If you shout foul and abusive language, if you consistently sneer and call names, sooner or later you'll find yourself in court. It's common sense. But Jesus also talks here about the fires of hell. The the word in Greek is Gehenna. Gehenna was the name of the Jerusalem rubbish dump that was constantly on fire to burn away the waste. And Jesus here uses it as a metaphor of God's final judgment. But he also uses it as a warning for the present. If you live with all of this anger and violence now, it will burn away inside you. Bitterness will make you like a smouldering, angry piece of rubbish that has lost all vestige of its original purpose and beauty. Jesus is crystal clear. Anger and violence is so destructive to humanity, both for the victim and for the perpetrator. So Jesus is not holding back. He denounces people who live angrily and points out the consequences. And for Israel, the message is clear. If they want to be a light to the world, they've got to raise the bar. 
If they want to draw people in to meet with God, they've got to go all out to retake control and defeat their anger. Just not murdering someone is nowhere near enough. And the message is exactly the same for us today. So now Jesus has urged the people to take action and highlighted the seriousness of the issue. He begins to spell out how they were to respond. The antidote to anger is reconciliation and it must be searched for at all costs. And make no mistake, making friends with our enemies is costly. Reconciliation requires us to climb down off of our pedestals, abandon our air of superiority and walk on the level ground with those who we are angry with, just as we're supposed to. Jesus does not say that it's not costly. He just says it's essential and to be done as soon as possible. And to that end, he goes on to give two examples. The first example is found in verses 23 to 24. And here we see that reconciliation takes precedence over religious worship. Jesus conjures the scene of someone travelling the three days it takes to get from Galilee, where he's preaching this sermon, to Jerusalem and the temple. And once there, the man buys his sacrificial animal on his way through the temple courts to offer it on the altar. But as he approaches the altar, his mind is drawn to a relationship that has gone wrong. A person he has hurt. This is often the case that as we approach the holy and all loving God, we see in stark detail how far we have fallen short. But what happens next is almost beyond belief. After taking three days to get there and spending his hard earned money on an animal, he puts it down in the courtyard and returns for home immediately. And only after reconciling with the injured party would he then go back and burn the offering. The animal would end up lying in the courtyard for six days or more. But that was irrelevant to the importance of putting things straight. To Jesus' reconciliation, apologising to the offended person came above everything else. Bear in mind that at that time, attending the temple was seen as the most important thing you ever did. Well, to Jesus, reconciliation was even more important. So if you come this evening and you have an issue with someone, the equivalent is this. Go home. Leave now. Don't stay to the end of the service. Go and put it right. I won't be offended if you leave. And if it happens during the week and you're due to attend a church Zoom meeting, miss it and put things right. There is nothing more important or urgent than ending a feud and dealing with anger. The second example Jesus uses is very similar to the first. In verses 25 to 26, Jesus conjures the scene of two men on their way to court to settle a financial dispute. And Jesus' message is, don't even get there. Settle matters quickly, or as the Greek says, make friends quickly. Don't just sort out your legal dealings before you reach court, but do it to such a degree that your adversary becomes your friend. And again, Jesus tries to show that this advice is rooted in wisdom. If you don't reconcile, you could end up in prison until you've paid the very last penny. And that statement is to raise a feeling of impossibility, because if you were thrown in a debtor's prison, you could not work, so therefore you'd never pay it off. 
And it's back to murder again. Once you've killed someone, you cannot undo it. Once you've allowed your anger to completely get the better of you to the point that you refuse to reconcile, you cannot undo it. Anger will destroy you on the inside. The message is stark. Do whatever you need to to reconcile. Unresolved anger and animosity must be dealt with fast, nipped in the bud before untold damage is caused. The message then of this short but thumping passage is clear. Unless Israel learn to deal with their anger and their violent behaviour, disaster awaits them. And history tells us they just did not heed these words. In AD 70, their anger led them to violently rebel against Rome, an act for which Rome cracked down, leading to the deaths of thousands and complete destruction of the Jerusalem temple. In Jewish eyes, the light went out that day permanently. And the same honesty needs to be faced by us today. If we do not actively take steps to deal with anger, then disaster awaits us. If we persist in calling names, making insults, we will emotionally and physically destroy each other. Unresolved issues will lead to violence and bitterness in our workplaces and our homes, and many a family will be torn apart, and many an innocent dog will get kicked. And as a church... We will fail to be a light to Isla. We will not draw anybody in because no one wants to come to a church where people are hostile and don't speak to each other. We all must seek reconciliation where it needs to be sought. We must make friends. We must deal with our anger way, way before we think of murder. We must strive to make peace. And when we struggle with this, we should ask God for more of his spirit to help us. And if we ever get lulled into thinking that this behaviour is impossible, we must recognise that when it comes to reconciliation, we have no excuse, because we've been set the perfect example to follow. Jesus, a few years after preaching this sermon, would refuse to get angry. Instead, he took all the anger that Rome and Israel could muster bore it on himself and died under its load. And on that day, reconciliation was achieved and accomplished for all. We must strive to be more like Jesus, to embody the same way of living. We must try to be a reconciler. We must try to live as the king of our kingdom. Jesus wants us to be light in a bitter and a dark world. We must humble ourselves and seek reconciliation in places of anger. And we must begin to do it right now.